Jesus kind of takes the Ten Commandments and, and he gives his own commentary on it. And he tells us, hey, here's what you need to think about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and so I thought that it would be really appropriate that at the end, as we're discussing the end of the Ten Commandments, that we hear, hey, what does Jesus think about the Ten Commandments? What did Jesus say about the Ten Commandments? And so I'd like for you, if you can, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to spend a few weeks uh, here looking at what has been called the great commandment, the great commandment. And people know this as, uh, people know this in various variations. Uh, some people say the golden rule. The golden rule doesn't nearly speak to what Jesus was talking about, but it's a variation of it. Treat others the way you'd like to be treated, right? That's the golden rule. It's a variation of this greatest commandment that Jesus gives. So Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34 this morning. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. And it says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, so Pharisees are teachers of the law, Sadducees are the great political leaders and leaders of religion of that day, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, don't you hate it when lawyers ask you questions, <laughs> asked him a question. Testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the prophets and the law. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We just ask that you would just speak to us this morning. Speak powerfully in truth, Lord Jesus, to us this morning, God, that we would understand who you are and your love and your passion for us. Amen. The title of this morning's message is Love God. And so we're going to cover that first part of that greatest commandment, Love God. Remember that we spoke about, for the last several weeks, we've been speaking about the fact that the Ten Commandments can't be taken out of context. You have to look at them within their context. And so if you look at them within their context, you're going to say, these are the commandments of a loving father looking to guard his children and to bless his children. If you look at them as simply rules, then you're going to struggle with them. If you look at them as simply rules, you'll rebel against them. If you look at them as the heart of the father that has to sit down with their child and say, this is not for your benefit. Think about this this way. Have you ever had to have a conversation with your kid before? And you tell them, hey, don't stick the fork in the socket. Because if you do, you'll end up like Don King. You'll look like a troll. You do that because you love them, because you care for them, because you want the best for them. And it's the same way that the commandments reflect the love and the heart of God. And so Jesus really speaks to this in this moment. One of the things that I'd like for you to discover this morning is that God is the great initiator. He makes demands of us. But they are to be responses to what he's done, is doing, and promises to do in our lives. 
it boils down to this. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, towards the end of it, it says, we love because he first loved us. And that is a vital understanding. If you miss that this morning, you're going to miss everything. What God really wants is for us to respond to what he's doing. And that is very unique in the realm of religion, for us to respond to what God is doing. Have you ever stopped to consider this? If we are commanded to love him, that means that he wants our love. It means that he, the almighty God of the universe, the one who is absolutely holy, wants to be in relationship with us, wants us to approach him. There are plenty of false religions out there where people hope to be able to get the attention of their God or gods. They hope he, she, or it will care about them if only for a minute to help them with their need. That's not true with the God of the Bible. He tells us, come to him. And not only that, he says, come love me because I have loved you. It's radically different than any other relationship that you can find in any other religion. The great problem in life is that we rebel against God. So the great commandment is this, that we would return to him and then that we would reflect what we've experienced with him to others. So keep this in mind as we start to look this morning at the first part of this command, the command to love God. And as we start to look at what we should do, remember that this should always be a response to our understanding of who he is and what he has already done. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at how we are to love God by demonstrating our allegiance to him, our adoration to him, and how do we love God in action. I was reading something this week by the author D.A. Carson. He's a Christian theologian and a professor, and he wrote, the essence of pleasing God is being devoted to him. That's as simple as it gets. The essence of pleasing God is being devoted to him. Remember what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve walked away from God and did what they wanted to do instead of what they were told to do. Every time that that plays out in our lives, every time you do what you want instead of want what God has done, you're demonstrating your allegiance to yourself and your rebellion against God, and that process is what we call sin. So we express our love of God through submitting our will to his. It's not how you feel about or toward God. It's not about the readout on your emotional meter this morning. It's how are you responding to him? Do you persist in rebellion or do you submit? Here is why you can come to church and have amazing worship experiences or you can go to a retreat and have amazing experience or you can listen to a sermon and you can feel like you're connected in an extraordinary way with the living God. But then you go back to your home and back into your life and you don't implement the change that he spoke to you about. Or you insist to do things the way that you have done it, not the way that it's pleasing to this awesome, amazing, overpowering God. And so you fade back into the place that you were before. You might have this amazing encounter with God and yet leave completely unchanged. Some of you guys have said, I've had encounters with God. Why is it that my life continues to be the same way? 
you question whether or not that was genuinely an encounter with God, let me tell you that it was. That you can have an amazing encounter with God and leave unchanged. And sooner or later, he isn't just going to reveal himself to you in the same amazing way anymore. If all you want is the spiritual tickle of his presence, but you don't really want the change that it brings, he's not going to be your servant when you're supposed to be his. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the God of money in scriptures. But the point is here, you can't serve two masters regardless of who they are. You either serve God or you don't. You either give him your allegiance or you don't. It isn't comfortable, church, but it's the truth. And so here's what the process should look like. There should be a revelation, an encounter with God of who he is. A response from you to that revelation, a response to that encounter, and it should repeat itself. God reveals himself to you, communicates the need to change, and then you respond. Then he shows you the next thing that needs to change, and you respond. And that is the way that you keep on moving forward. It begins with him revealing himself to you and your need for salvation. If you don't respond to that, you're not going to advance any farther in knowledge of him. But if you do respond, he promises to come into your life and begin show you all the ways in which you will serve yourself instead of him. He'll show you the depth of the evil in your heart. He'll show you the depth of the sin in your heart so that you can begin to look at it and begin to change course. Sometimes there are things that God talks about that are easy to change. Sometimes there are things that we're doing that God wants us to change, and it's excruciatingly difficult. But you have to believe this, that he shows you things in his timing. God controls the lesson plan, and he promises not to test you before he has trained you. So if he's telling you it's time to change, then it's time. And the first question on the test is this, are you willing to or not? In this area of your life, at this moment, who has your allegiance? Do you love God or do you love yourself? If you love God, you will submit and begin the process of changing through his grace and with his strength. But if you refuse to change or ignore God's call to change... He will graciously remind you for a while, and you'll know what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. And you'll have to keep rebelling for a while, and then he'll go silent on you. And you'll be left there because there is no going farther or forward in your relationship with God if we can't obey him. I'm sharing from observation and personal experience this morning. People go as far in their walk with God as they're willing to go. That is the truth. As soon as you go from saying, yes, God, to no, God, or not now, God, or God, what was that? I couldn't hear you the first time you spoke. I'm not sure I heard you right. When you know you have, when you know you have said those things, here's the truth. You're going to stall out. I'll tell you another thing. We have to choose our allegiance constantly. 
It isn't like you're going to leave here this morning and you say, I make up in my mind that I have chosen allegiance to Christ. Because every day will bring its new challenges. You're going to have to choose it constantly. It's almost like a dead man switch in your life. For those of you who are contractors, you ever heard of a dead man switch? If you take your hand off the allegiance button, it will stop the flow. You can't just set it and walk away. There's no permanent repair. Nothing will hold. The loyalty of your heart requires constant attention. But all relationships are like this. That's the truth. You don't just pre-program your marriage for love and walk away. Moment by moment, setting by setting, choice by choice, you're constantly needing to express your allegiance to God. And you'll get to the place where some choices will be covered and in, in, in some choices will be default. You'll automatically know what decisions to make to please God. But you'll always be confronted, probably daily, even multiple times daily. Are you sure you really want to? Are you sure you really want to follow this path? Are you sure you really want to do the right thing? And let me tell you, there will be moments, and I understand that we have lived in a Christianity for the last several years that has believed that there are black and white things. There are black and white choices. And I, and I mean to say that from a decision perspective, not a race perspective. That there are solidly black and white. There's no gray area. And let me tell you something, that there are gray areas. There are times where you will not know what decision to make, and where you're going to have to rely on the principles of Scripture and biblical counsel and advice and wisdom from people to know what is the right route forward. But you're going to have to make this decision on a daily basis. Where does my allegiance lie? Allegiance also has a few sisters, and they're going to have to be present in your life as well. And they all go together. So the next way that we express love to God is through adoration. The word adore actually means to worship. So how do we worship God? The first requirement is to spend time with him, not just on Sunday mornings. If he's going to be the God of your whole life, if you're going to submit to him, then you, there should be no boundaries to where his presence can go in your life or where your relationship is head is headed because it's really hard to have a relationship with someone that you hardly know. Think about it like this. I didn't get married to my wife and then come to see her only 90 minutes a week. Just think about that. How strange would that be if you saw that I was away all the time and I just want to meet with my wife just for 90 minutes. Sweetheart, just for 90 minutes a week, I'm going to show this affection for you. I'm going to fall over you. We're going to smooch all over. We're going to raise our hands in the air. I mean, just for 90 minutes a week. I Could you just think about how strange... That would be life as a married man or married woman looks different than life as a single person. I tell my wife that all the time. She tells me all the time. This is different. Life is different when you're married. Choices are made different. I told my wife when I became an adult, I wanted to go to the grocery store and buy whatever I wanted. I thought I was going to make money and be able to purchase whatever I wanted. I said, first it was my mother telling me I couldn't do it. Now it's you. Because you can do things as a single person. Single people can go to the club until 3 o'clock in the morning and dance the whole night away because there's no obligations that they have. Married, 
Being married is different. Being in a marriage is different. You go places together. You do things with each other. You do things for each other. You talk about things. You don't make decisions without discussing it with each other. Life looks different in a healthy, committed marriage. And there's a spiritual equivalent to that truth. If you're going to have a healthy, vital, growing relationship with God, your life is going to have to look different than other people's lives. Not just because you do something different before lunch on Sunday some weeks. Not just because you got the 90-minute holy hour on Sunday mornings. If your relationship with your spouse is going to be healthy, you're going to need to carve out some amount of time each day to communicate with each other. The same is true with God, and you've heard it called by a different name, devotions. Figure out what works well for you before you go to work, maybe while you're driving to work, before you go to bed, whatever. But if you want a good relationship, you're going to need to spend some time together in prayer and in the word. There's no way around that. I realize how old school that may sound, but there's really, that is the remedy. It is the recipe. It has been the remedy and the recipe for thousands of years, and it will not change. Now, hopefully your Relationship with your spouse looks or or will look differently than your relationship with anybody else of the opposite sex. And that's good. They are the only man or woman on the planet that you do or say certain things to. If that is true in the exclusive relationship of a marriage, why should the same concept be strange in our relationship to God? Here we have another exclusive relationship, a relationship with no other full equivalent. Isn't it reasonable that this relationship would have some unique expressions associated with it? One of the most obviously unique expressions of our adoration of God is what we typically call worship. The music that we experience here at the church. And, and, and I would argue, I would argue that calling the songs that we sing worship is It's just a serious misnomer because worship is more than the songs we sing. But for the sake of the the point, I will use what's commonly accepted here. If you can turn with me for a moment, if you have your e-Bibles or if you'd like to turn there, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say about grown men singing songs. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That means you come here and you worship. Don't let anything hold you back, plug you away. I realize that will look different for all of you. Some of you guys are introverts. Some of you guys are extroverts. Some of you guys are clappers. Some of you guys are not. Some of you are arm raisers. Some of you guys are not. I realize that that's going to look differently, but here's the point. Let that song permeate into your soul. Join together with the worship of this church to exalt Jesus. Singing songs of praise and worship to God is a practice that is thousands of years old. You find it from the beginning of biblical history all the way up to the book of Revelation. It is something we do here on earth and something that we will forever do before the throne of God. And I dare say if you're not into worship, you've really got to look at your heart and ask why. Worship is a contraction of the old English word worth-ship, to ascribe worth to God. 
which continues to reinforce our idea of allegiance, doesn't it? You're saying that God is worthy of your allegiance, that God is worthy of your submissions, that God is worthy of your obedience. And so we say that we worship God. And if we're doing it right, it's because we want God to know that we find him worthy. So here's the truth. As much as you come here and think that worship can be about you and your emotional state and delivering it all to God, it really isn't. Worship really isn't about us. It's not about how well you can sing. It's not about what your emotional state is at that moment. It's about God. And that can seem a little bit weird to us. There may not be anyone or anything else you sing about, but your relationship with God is unique. And so you express your love for him and your belief in his worthiness in unique ways. And worship just isn't for musicians and young people and extroverts. It's for introverts and every other person in between. It's one of those milestones you pass in your relationship with God when you finally start to sing worship songs. You don't care about what anybody around you has to say or how you look because you're doing this not for yourself. You're doing this not for them. You're doing it for him and because you believe what these songs have to say. Sometimes pride keeps us from worshiping God through song. Pride is really just another form of rebellion. You're telling God, I'm not willing to give you this because it's going to make me look stupid. Ask me for something else. And here's the answer that I have, or here's the question that I'd like to ask you for those of you who think that way. Who's calling the shots in your life? The question is, who is serving who? And I want to tell you something that I've noticed. There is a correlation between the presence of worship music in my life and my own experience of nearness to God. When I don't have much exposure to worship, I notice my walk start to drift. It's kind of like hearing a love song around your wife. You ever been there before? Around somebody that you're in relationship with, you hear that love song, and you start to sing it to her. It becomes a catalyst for an expression of love. And you know how goofy some of you are when it's just the two of you. And the same thing is true with worship. You find that sometimes the words express exactly what you want to express or what you are experiencing. And you wind up appropriating them for yourself and saying, yeah, God, that's me. So I'd counsel you this morning. Find some good worship. Integrate it into your life. Put it on your iPod, on your computer. Set up a Pandora station in the kitchen while you're cooking. Surround yourself with it. Technology is all all around you. People use it for negative things. Learn to use it positively. There are all kinds of style. Whatever floats your boat, from hymns to hip-hop to rap to rock to heavy metal, there's worship in all of those different diverse styles. Find what you like. Start listening to it more often. I'm telling you it will have a permanent and lasting effect on your life we move along to the next thing action you're giving your allegiance to God because you adore him you find him worthy and so now what you worship him you give your allegiance because love is more than emotions 
Our heart for God must affect our lives outside the sanctuary. We must demonstrate it with practical activities in our day-to-day life. One of the points we have made so many times already is that love is a verb. It is an action. Love is not just a sentiment. God's love for us moved him to act for us. Is the reverse also true? Does our love move us to act for him? Love is an action. We have defined love as an emotion. But dare I say this, that this is true, that there will be a season in everyone's marriage or in everyone's relationship where guess what? You're not going to have the googly feelings. Those are not times to question whether or not you made the right decision in marrying the person or being in relationship with the person that you were in relationship with. Those are times where commitment drives you through. We falsely identified love as simply an emotion and a sentiment and have dismissed the fact that love is in action. That there are times where your marriage will be rocky, that there are times when relationships will be difficult, and what brings you through the commitment that you made on that altar 20, 15, 40, 30, 35, 60 years ago. That is what drives you forward. That's what drives you forward. Those commitments that you made. Because you won't wake up every day feeling, oh, I love this person. Oh, I just want to go out and buy them chocolates and flowers and and take them out to a date to the movies. Because there there will be seasons where you will feel disgust towards each other in relationship. But what drives you through in those moments? The fact that you have made a commitment and that if you persist and carry on with that commitment, that the emotion and the sentiment will begin to grow in your life. Some of you are saying, I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel God's power. I'm telling you, continue on with the practice of loving, adoring, and worshiping God and with the commitment that you made from the beginning. And sooner or later, the sentiments will begin to return back. You're going to need to worship God and be in relationship with people. And commitment is is going to need to be what drives you through more than emotions and sentiment will because God is a God of covenant, not of sentiment. One theologian wrote this, without action in the world, the adoration of God is empty and hypocritical and denigrates into irresponsible and godless quietism. I'm going to read that again. Without action in the world, the adoration of God is empty and hypocritical and denigrates into irresponsible and godless quietism. Here's what, here's what he's trying to say here. If there is no action to describe what we are talking about in this building, if there is no demonstration of the love of God to the world, then we might as well shut down, close up shop, because we're as worthless as a social club. And there are churches that exist today that are more social club than worship environments. And so we have to make choices. We have to say, not only will our allegiance be there, not only will our adoration be there, but our action will follow through. James, the brother of Jesus, says it very bluntly. James chapter 2, verse 20. Do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Love for God cannot solely consist of your professions of allegiance. 
Love of God cannot solely consist of the commitments that you make within the four walls of this church. You need to take the love of God out there. You have to integrate what you say and hear in here with the rest of your life. You cannot begin to compartmentalize yourself. This is where you learn about God. This is, this is the practice. This is the locker room right here. This is the time to be equipped and encouraged. But the game and the battles are fought out there. Some of you guys will have challenges as soon as you walk into the door of your homes. Life begins to play itself. The safe place is the sanctuary. But the truth is, is if we don't carry this message out here, then we're just worthless. There's no point in our existence. Look at the next verse back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As people see us working for, living for, arranging our lives, choices, and convictions around the love of God, it serves as a testimony to them that they need to do the same. Some of you guys have allowed God to work around your schedule. And so you believe it's only convenient to worship God when it's convenient for you. But here's the truth. When we're believers, God doesn't work around our schedule. We work around his We integrate him into the totality of our lives. He is part of our choices. He is part of our convictions. He is part of our our daily living, our daily choices that we make. God needs to be at the center of it. If the essence of loving God is giving allegiance to him, there, there isn't just one thing that we should be doing for him or a specific list of things. Our whole lives should be one continuous action for him. Everything we do should be permeated with the desire to please God. And that's the attitude that we see expressed through scriptures. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, put God first, and the other things will work itself out in your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's not a simple do this for God. It's do everything for God. Hold nothing back from him. Remember, he's not just offering to be your lifeguard when you go swimming in deep water or to be your comfort when you're lonely or hurt. He is the God who made you and he wants all of you to be serving him. So can you love God by the way you work? The degree that you pursue, the recreational time that you have, The answer to those questions is yes, but are you? Ask yourself this. This is probably the deepest question that I will ask you this morning. Does the fact that I'm a Christian make any difference in the way I live or work? Does the fact that I'm a Christian make any difference in the way I live or work? Could a non-Christian do this exactly the same way? Where is the evidence of my relationship with God? I've got one last verse for us to look at this morning. 
1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John chapter 3, chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And ask the worship team to begin to come forward. God is commanding you to love him. To give him your allegiance and to work that out in every aspect of your life. But here's the deal. If you have the right perspective, if you understand all that he's done for you, all that he is willing to forgive you of, and all that he promises to you as you live for him, you realize it isn't such a bad deal that you're getting. It's not a heavy burden to serve him. It's a joy and it's a pleasure. And I'm just responding to all that I know and all that he has done for me. So God commands you to give all of yourself to him. But did you know he is also giving you all of himself? Did you know that the Bible speaks to us about the love we experience from each member of the Trinity? I'd like to share with you a few verses as we begin to close. Romans chapter 15, verse 30, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says the Spirit loves us. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. 1 John chapter 3, 1 speaks about the Father loving us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and other verses in Scripture speaks about Jesus' love for us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. If you can remember anything, remember God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And he demonstrates that love for you by acting on your behalf at a time when you least deserved it. So how will you respond this morning? How will you examine your life, your goals, your choices, your allegiances? How will you examine your worship, your actions? And how will we let really gain an understanding about who we're really loving and serving today? Some of us walked in through the door of the church this morning, and unbeknownst to us, without us being aware, we walked in as servants of ourselves. We serve ourselves. Our actions, our behavior, the way we live our life, the goals that we set for ourselves, how we pursue life in general speaks to our selfishness and how we live for ourselves. And so the question needs to be this morning is who has your allegiance? Who has your allegiance? Is it the false behavior, false attitudes that you've lived with for a long time? Or is it the God who holds everything in the palm of his hands? Does Christianity affect, does being a Christian affect any other aspect or venue of your life? Or are you just as good as the space that somebody who doesn't believe is occupying? We've got to ask ourselves these tough questions. Not just this morning. 
on a daily basis. Because there will be things that come that will test our allegiance. They will test our commitment to worship. They will test our commitment to follow Jesus. It's in those moments where we need to be resilient. It's in those moments where we need to continue to say, God, continue to flow through me. I may not feel it this morning. I may not have the desire for it. This I may not have the desire to go to church. I may be depressed in my bed. I may want the pillow all over me and the bed all over me. And I, But I'm going to make a choice to walk out that door and to worship this morning. I'm going to make a choice to go. I may not feel it today. The emotions may not be with me. And you may be a highly emotional person. Can I tell you something? For highly emotional people like me, for highly emotional people like me, as intensely as you feel the presence of God is as intensely as you feel the emotional void of the lack of that sentiment. And so you feel it with a big intensity and it can drop you down big time in an emotional perspective. Let me tell you, in those moments, the commitment to Christ needs to endure. In those moments, you have to decide, I'm getting up out of bed. My husband, my wife, my sister, my brother doesn't want to come to church, but I'm going to come to the house of God to worship him. I'm going to learn to live differently. This person doesn't want to come with me. I can't come every week. My job is preventing me from coming to church and worshiping him. But guess what? I'm going to ask for every other Sunday off so that I can come and worship him. There is a way that you need to. God cannot fit your schedule. You need to fit God's schedule. This is deep, friends. In subtle ways, we have ignored God. And we have ignored God in our churches. We have ignored God in our cultures. We have ignored God as Christians. And there are ramifications. The ramifications is the world that we're living in. For some, in the 1800s, they ignored God by saying, it's okay to own slaves and black people and subjugate them. And they would preach from their pulpits that, hey, this is okay to do. For some of us, we ignored God in the early 1900s when we said, it's okay. Women don't need a right to vote. This is a man's job to lead this country. And we've ignored the voice of God in our culture for so long. In the early 1980s, in the 1960s, up to the 70s and the 80s when AIDS became an epidemic, we the church said, that's okay. That's a gay issue. We could ignore it because eventually the sinful people will go away. And we miss the voice of God. And we miss an opportunity to be healers and reconcilers in each and every one of those moments. We're living in another pivotal time in the history of our society where the church who has lost the culture wars, we have lost the culture war that we were so vividly engaged in.
we need to come together and decide. Are we going to be reconcilers? Are we going to walk this out outside so that they can see the love of God, so that they can see being a Christian means something? How did the early church grow? Why did the church stop growing? We stopped growing because we stopped reaching out. People stopped being reached with this love. And we became identified as haters. People who hate and bigots, falsely so, but we never got a chance to prove otherwise because we were too busy with our infighting in our churches and we weren't paying attention to the world pass us by. We've got to live this out in our lives, in our work environments. People need to see your willingness towards diversity in your work environments most beautiful thing, Wednesday night, as this world was being torn up over this election, Wednesday night we had missionaries to Mexico here, talking about reaching Mexico. As the world was being torn up on Wednesday night, we had people that were Caucasian and Latino and black come here and worship together the same God. There's something to be spoken about. The church is one of the only places in all of the world where you can see that happen. Let's walk this out. Let's walk our faith out in real ways by demonstrating our allegiance, our adoration, and our actions. That is how we love God. Join me.